news. A new analysis shows the illegal harvesting of sea turtles by poachers has been dropping. Many years ago, it used to be the only source of protein for many communities. But right now, there are more sources of protein in the world. So poaching has decreased a lot. That's next time on Here and Now. Listen for two hours of Here and Now, beginning at 1 o'clock this afternoon on WBEZ. We've got cloudy skies. It's chilly, 37 right now at O'Hare and at the lakefront. And and Gary, Indiana, 39 degrees with cloudy skies and calm winds. We might see a little bit of rain throughout the day and maybe even a little snow. It's 1059. This is WBEZ HD Chicago 91.5 FM. WBEQ HD Morris 90.7 FM. WBEK Kankakee 91.1 FM, and always on the WBEZ app. Live from WBEZ Chicago, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. As the Illinois General Assembly begins its lame duck session today, lawmakers are working through several pieces of pending legislation, among them banning semi-automatic weapons and high-capacity magazines. Gun control has become one of the nation's most hotly contested topics, especially after a slew of mass shootings last year, including the one at Highland Park's 4th of July parade. Today on the program, we mark six months since the deadly attack. Hear from the lawmaker behind a proposed bill to ban assault weapons in Illinois and talk with a Highland Park resident who's also taking action. Plus, as we usher in this new year, can I interest anyone in a vision board party? But instead of making the collage of pictures and quotes about your personal goals for 2023, one local group's helping folks make vision boards focused on their community. We'll learn how it's done and the impact it can create. As always, we'll keep you up to speed on big local news. But first, the latest from around the country and the world. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The GOP-led House is back at it, attempting to select a new speaker. A small conservative faction stands between Republican Representative Kevin McCarthy and the gavel. They threatened to drag out the standoff through Friday, the two-year anniversary, by the way, of the pro-Trump insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. All but two of the McCarthy defectors support former President Donald Trump's disproven election-denying claims, but publicly, Trump says the standoff's embarrassing. As NPR's Tamara Keith reports, President Biden, who is traveling today with the top Senate Republican to tout a bipartisan law passed last year, is also weighing in on the drama playing out in Congress today. It's the kind of contrast Biden couldn't have scripted if he tried. House Republicans in their second day of an ugly leadership battle, while Biden holds a bipartisan event in Kentucky celebrating $2 billion in repairs coming to a bridge two presidents before him tried and failed to get fixed. Headed to Marine One, Biden weighed in on the House GOP leadership fight. That's not my province. I just think it's a little embarrassing it's taking so long in the way they're dealing with one another. And the rest of the world's looking. They're looking at, you know, can we get our act together? And, uh, but, uh, What I've focused on is getting things done. Asked who he thinks will become speaker, Biden said he has no idea. Tamara Keith, NPR News. Prices at the gas pump have increased in the last week, but as NPR's Scott Horsley reports, the jump is not expected to last long. AAA says holiday road trips and refinery outages linked to last month's deep freeze are responsible for the recent run-up in gas prices. The average price of unleaded regulars jumped about 13 cents a gallon in the last week. Gas is still cheaper now, though, than it was this time last year. December's frigid temperatures have given way to warmer-than-usual weather in much of the country, and that's weighing on the price of natural gas used for heating and electricity generation. Natural gas prices tumbled by 11 percent on Tuesday and are now less than half what they were 
last summer. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. Russia now says 89 of its troops were killed in a Ukrainian missile strike on a military barracks in occupied East Ukraine. NPR's Charles Means has the latest from Moscow. The revised death toll was confirmed by a Russian defense ministry spokesman who said the remains of more soldiers had been found in the rubble of a school building in the Ukrainian town of Mikivka the troops had been using as a temporary base. The spokesman said the attack occurred because the soldiers had violated military rules and placed cell phone calls to Russia as the New Year struck, allowing Ukraine to pinpoint their location using American-made HIMARS rockets. The defense ministry initially acknowledged 63 men had died after pro-Kremlin war correspondents leaked details of the incident. NPR's Charles Maines reporting from Moscow. Dow Jones Industrial Average up 244 points at last check at 33,378. It's NPR News. 37 degrees, cloudy skies, a little drizzle, 1104. I'm Lisa Labas with WBEZ News. Crime reform advocates say they hope the Illinois Supreme Court will quickly rule in favor of a law that abolishes cash bail. The law was supposed to take effect in Illinois January 1st, but the state high court put it on pause while justices review a legal challenge. Advocates say every day cash bail system remains on the books, results in people being held in jails before they go to trial because they are poor. Local scientists are monitoring a COVID-19 subvariant known as XBB15. It's now the, it's now dominant in the northeastern U.S. Chicago Public Health Commissioner Allison Arwoody says XBB could be behind a small surge out east. If we saw a new variant of concern that was so different from Omicron, that's when you'd really worry the most that um, there's been a major shift. The vaccines might not be as effective. The treatments might not be as effective. So that would be the thing we would worry about the most. Arwoody says the treatment Paxlovid continues to work against these Omicron subvariants, but she says monoclonal antibody infusions are effective against newer strains. Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers is calling for overturning an 1849 state law that bans abortions, expanding Medicaid coverage, legalizing marijuana, and fighting water pollution. Evers and other constitutional officers took their oaths of office on Tuesday. Evers says his recent reelection win served as a rejection of bitter politics of resentment. It is 11.05 WBEZ. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Joyce Foundation, committed to advancing racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region. Learn more at JoyceFDN.org. And the Annie E. Casey Foundation. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Glad to be with you this morning. Coming up this hour, we'll learn how to set New Year's resolutions for our whole community. Plus, a legend in the Chicago theater scene has died. We'll learn about Frank Galati's work. But first, today marks six months since the tragic shooting in Highland Park when neighbors gathered to celebrate the 4th of July. At the popular and bustling parade, shots rang out. And when the dust settled, seven people were killed. Dozens more were wounded. And a community was left reeling but also motivated. As lawmakers return today to Springfield for a lame duck session, they're expected to take up a statewide assault weapons ban. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to hear from a Highland Park resident about her reflections on the horrific event and why she's pushing for the passage of that ban. But first, joining us now is the bill's sponsor, State Representative Bob Morgan. He represents Illinois' 58th district, which includes Highland Park. Welcome to Reset. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. State Representative, you not only represent Highland Park, but you were also marching in the parade that day. So I'm wondering, what's on your mind today? Honestly, it's certainly an emotional day. 
a lot of texting to friends uh, and people that I was there with the parade the minutes before the shooting and then uh, much more so the minutes after. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of feelings. Uh, in some ways, it feels like a very, very long time ago, but six months has passed, and there are literally still people physically healing from their wounds. So it, it's a difficult day and a good reminder for the work that we've been doing. Yeah, tell us more about that healing process. What has that looked like for you and your family over the past six months and, and even your constituents? There's There are a lot of people dealing with this in different ways. Um, again, there are still those who are physically recovering from their wounds from being shot. There are a lot of people that have trauma from what they saw, um, what they experienced, losing family members, having family members who were injured. Um, and again, the recollection and the, the, the reminder that this is literally happening every day in Illinois. There are communities that every day are waking up to more news about gun violence. Uh, and so our community was always pretty active. Uh, Highland Park, the North Suburbs in particular, was always pretty pretty uh, aggressive in pushing for gun safety legislation, knowing this was happening in other parts of the state. Uh, and since it has happened in Highland Park, it was it was certainly a reminder about the work, but just the urgency as everyone really wants to prevent this from happening to anyone else. Mm-hmm. So let's dig into the uh, the bill, House Bill five eight five five, or the Protect Illinois Communities Act. What's in there? There are a number of elements here uh, that we introduced um, just over a month and a half ago uh, that that provides for a lot of different uh, changes to our, our gun laws. Um, I was put in charge right after the shooting of the House Firearm Safety and Reform Working Group. Uh, so even though that's kind of wordy, it, it is what it sounds like. We're, we're trying to address gun laws and how they relate to gun violence in Illinois. There's obviously a lot to do. Um, we have increased funding for mental health, put a billion dollars into gun violence prevention and trauma-related funding. We banned ghost guns. We extended red flag laws. Those are things the Illinois legislature has done just in the last few years. Mm-hmm. But there's so much more that we have not yet done, including banning the sale of assault weapons and high-capacity magazines that has been talked about for years, but we're actually pretty close to getting that done now. Well, the state house is back for a short lame duck session, so are you hoping that this will pass in the coming days? Uh, I am hopeful. Uh, certainly all of our efforts have been focused on trying to get this done right now in the coming days. Um, we are working with our, our colleagues in the Senate, uh, working with members of both parties, uh, trying to build a package that, that really will earn majority of, of vote uh, in both House and the Senate so that we can pass this before our current General Assembly ends in the coming days and get that to the governor. What are you hearing from your colleagues? Is the support there? There, there is a lot of support for a lot of these concepts. Uh, as always, the devil's in the details, and there's a lot of negotiations that are still happening. Um, I think across the board, not just across the state, where there's clearly public support for banning assault weapons and high-capacity mags, there's really growing legislative support for this concept. So there are a lot of ideas that we're trying to incorporate, uh, and again, just uh, making sure that this reflects majority support of the legislature, because we don't have a lot of time. Uh, so I am hopeful that we'll get this done, uh, but it's still a work in progress. You mentioned the governor there. What's he saying about all this? The governor's put out his own statements of, of support for not just this legislation, but taking dramatic steps to try and reduce this gun violence that's plaguing so many families and communities. Um, so the governor's office and the governor have been very supportive of trying to pass legislation like this. 
Uh, and at the end of the day, we, we need the votes in the House and the Senate. So we're working on that. So what's your response to gun rights advocates who are, are calling this bill an overreach and are saying that it's in defiance of the U.S. Supreme Court? There are a lot of voices out there that think that any gun law is unconstitutional. We should just allow assault weapons, fully automatic assault weapons, because that's legal. It's their rights. I think we all agree as a majority of society that there is a real place for common sense gun legislation. We used to talk about background checks as something that Democrats and Republicans agree on. I think Democrats and Republicans agree on banning assault weapon sales uh, and high-capacity magazine sales. So there really is a lot of support for this. Um, I think the legal concerns are very real and really taking the considerations we build this legislation. Uh, but I also think those that are saying nothing can pass, nothing should happen, I think they're ignoring the law, they're ignoring their community, but more than that, they're ignoring the gun violence that's plaguing not just suburban and urban areas, but uh, rural areas as well. And so this is this is really urgent and really important. Well, to that end, WBEZ's Alex Degman spoke to Richard Pearson, who's the executive director of the Illinois State Rifle Association. Pearson criticized your bill because it would ban the AR-15, which is, as we know, one of the most commonly used guns in the country. Let's listen. It is the most efficient thing to use to defend yourself. It works better than anything else. So why politicians want to give criminals an advantage, I have no idea, but they seem to want to do that all the time. Your reaction to Pearson's comments? You know, again, that doesn't reflect the majority of, of the opinion of the state, nor does it reflect the majority of the legislature. So I appreciate any and all opposition and comments, but at the end of the day, that's not reflective of where the state of Illinois wants to go and where we're going to head. I'm curious what you say to law-abiding gun owners in this state who feel like they're being blamed when these mass shooting incidents occur and that bills like yours are only just going to create future hurdles for them. Do you think that they have a point? No, I think this legislation really, start to finish, is really designed for those who are lawful gun owners if they have acted legally already. They legally purchased a semi-automatic rifle or they legally purchased a high-capacity magazine. The legislation is built in for those firearms. They would be allowed to keep them. Um, so, you know, I know there are a lot of people uh, on the far right, uh, in particular Second Amendment groups, that are trying to tra- talk about a gun grab and they're talking about their rights. People that have these firearms will get to keep them. Uh, so I, I think ultimately I'm a strong supporter of people being able to defend themselves and mm-hmm. their families, and this doesn't prevent that. Uh, but we do need to close the door on these large-capacity magazines. We need to close the door on the sales of these high-powered semi-automatic rifles designed for war, for battlefield. Those shouldn't be in our neighbors, neighborhoods. They shouldn't be in our streets. Uh, so, again, I think that there's broad support for those those topics, and we're going to keep working on it. Compared to our Midwestern neighbors, Illinois already has relatively strict gun laws, right? So why do we need to go further? There are some laws that we have that are really strong. Again, we, we recently enhanced our red flag laws, taking away firearms from those who are danger to themselves or others. Uh, but there's a lot more that we can do. Again, the idea of an assault weapon ban has been discussed in the General Assembly for years. It goes back to Governor Edgar, Republican governor. So this is not a new topic, uh, but we haven't been able to find the political will in the General Assembly. And I think that the will is there, and I think we're going to work hard to get that done. Is it enough, you think, to, to pass gun control by state, or is, is something needed on a federal level? 
Because I mean, the federal level would always be preferable for so many reasons. I, I just don't think yeah. anything suggests that that's going to happen anytime soon. Well, I'm thinking of My, I'm thinking of Chicago state representative, you know, which has very strict gun laws, but it hasn't stopped people from just going outside of Chicago or over state lines to Indiana to get all sorts of guns. Right, exactly. And it's one of the reasons there's an additional element to my legislation that deals with gun trafficking. Those who are bringing in illegal guns from other states. I can't control Indiana's laws or Missouri's laws, uh, but Illinois can really take strong steps to protect our state, making sure that people aren't bringing these really awful weapons, really dangerous weapons into our state. Uh, And that's one of the reasons why I want to really create a very specific obligation and requirement for the state police as a function of their existence to be the combating these, these gun traffickers. We haven't done enough, and there's a great deal that we can do to really prevent that kind of trafficking that's going to save lives. Before you go, can you just remind us of the next steps for your bill? Uh, so right now, um, our General Assembly is reconvening today. Um, we're likely to um, go to caucus where the House and the Senate will respectively meet with their chambers uh, and figure out what the path forward is. We, we of course, don't have a lot of time here with lame duck, so... I'm hoping we can land the plane, as they, they say, and try and pass this really meaningful legislation. There's certainly a path, and if everyone really stands up and, and expresses to their legislators why they think this is important, we can get this done. That's Illinois State Representative Bob Morgan. Thank you so much for checking in with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. You guys all take care. You too. Let's turn to another voice from the northern suburbs. Rachel Jacoby is a Highland Park resident and organizer with March for Our Lives. That's a youth-led gun violence prevention movement. You can read her op-ed in today's Chicago Sun-Times. It's called Gen Z is Tired of Thoughts and Prayers. Pass the Protect Illinois Communities Act. Rachel, welcome to Reset. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm going to ask you what we asked the state representative a few minutes ago. It's been six months since the Highland Park massacre. What's on your mind today? Today, I'm thinking about how we can honor those that we lost in Highland Park and those that we continue to lose every single day in Illinois and across the country to the gun violence epidemic and how to honor them with action. What's the healing process looked like for you over these last few months? For me, healing has been really centered on community and how the people of Highland Park have come together to support each other, to lean on each other, to provide care for the victims and the families of those that were shot and those that we lost. And I think one of the ways that we've healed is finding a way to turn our hurt into hope and our anger into action to demand gun safety legislation. One action you took is is that op-ed that I mentioned that you wrote. Uh, there have been mass shootings across the country, Rachel, and here in Illinois since that July 4th in Highland Park. And you write in the in the piece about your generation, Gen Z, as being the quote-unquote school shooting generation. Do you think yeah. that we've become desensitized to gun violence? I think we have. And it's something, like I've said, that it feels like has become the status quo, but our generation, young people in Illinois and across the country have been fighting for change and have been fighting to end gun violence because we know that the trauma that gun violence causes communities every single day, whether it's in Waukegan or Garfield Park or East St. Louis, and the collective trauma that we experience as a society when you have a mass shooting like the one that happened at 
in Highland Park or at Benito Juarez High School. Mm-hmm. And I think one way to fight that desensitization is through action and through fighting for gun safety legislation to make sure that the next generation, that our children will never have to experience this trauma. When we think about the impact here, I, I was really struck by the the mention in your piece that the first mass shooting drill that you did was when you were seven years old. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. It's unfortunately probably one of my earliest memories. I think it's something that I had almost come to accept as normal, but the first one was definitely the scariest because you didn't really understand what was going on. And at seven, I was so young. I, I didn't know what was happening. I just knew that I felt really, really scared. I remember hiding behind the desk. I remember the banging on the classroom door mm-hmm. from the police officer as they tried to get in. And even though that school shooting drill and that instance was fake, the trauma that I experienced, that my classmates experienced was real. And that's trauma that Gen Z has grown up with every single day going to school, knowing that today could be the day that a gunman or a shooter enters your school and it could be your last. That is frightening. You mentioned trauma a few times, Rachel. I mean, thinking still of those drills and just the shadow of a mass shooting, how do you think they shaped how you now view and define safety? Yeah, I think for me, when I think of safety, the first thing that I think of is freedom from gun violence and safety from gun violence. And that might be slightly different than how my parents or my grandparents or even some peers and friends who are 10 or 15 years older than me view safety. But I think that's because I grew up feeling like the biggest threat to my safety was gun violence. And that's why I wrote the op-ed. That's why I'm going to Springfield tomorrow to advocate for the Protect Illinois Communities Act to make sure that our state can address the gun violence epidemic that we're facing and make us all safer. You know, there's a recent study that found that gun violence is the leading cause of death for kids in America today. It's Mm -hmm. something that we talked about recently on this program. Is that any surprise at all to you? I would say that I'm disappointed, but not surprised. It's disappointing because the gun violence epidemic is preventable. Research has shown that stricter gun laws save lives, whether it's policies like extreme risk protection orders or raising the age to purchase an assault weapon or any sort of weapon or banning assault weapons. We know that having gun safety legislation in place makes all of us safer. But the fact is we're not acting on it and we're not passing those those pieces of legislation and those laws that would make us safe. So I'm not surprised because we haven't taken the steps to actually address this problem. Mm -hmm. But I am disappointed and I know that we can do better. So along those lines, you also write about how growing up, quote, Gen Z has come to expect gun violence, but we refuse to accept it, end quote. So as an organizer, you've talked to youth across Illinois and the U.S., uh, to folks in Uvalde. How are you seeing youth push back on this pressure to accept gun violence? Tell us more about that action you've been speaking about. Yeah. So as an organizer with March for Our Lives, I think what I've seen is that youth are on the front lines of fighting to end gun violence, whether that's leading rallies, sharing their stories as survivors, or talking to legislators. Um, I, For example, I went to Washington, D.C. a few months ago with peers who have been affected from young peers 
youth leaders from all across the country who've been affected by mass shootings, whether that's folks from Newtown, Uvalde, Parkland, Highland Park. And we went to rally for to push for an assault weapons ban. And that's just one example. We've seen that youth are turning out to vote in record numbers, youth are hosting rallies. We're doing everything we can to end gun violence. And because we have putting so much time and so much effort leading these rallies and showing up to vote and helping get gun safety legislators elected to office, now it's their turn to act because we've done everything we can. And until Gen Z is in office in mass, we aren't gonna be able to pass this type of legislation. So we need our lawmakers to step up and protect our children because our lives are on the line. You obviously are very passionate, Rachel. You're, you're talking about the efforts of young people across the country. What do you see as the biggest challenge or hurdle here? I think for me, it's a framing issue. I think unless you've been personally affected by gun violence, like I have, or if you've grown up doing active shooter drills, unless you have those lived experiences, I think it's hard to recognize that this is a real problem and it's a pervasive problem. And it's just easy to become desensitized, as you mentioned before, and see the statistics and see the numbers and think that it's intractable, that we can't do anything about it. But I think one message that I would want lawmakers to know is that this is a problem that they can solve and that they can act on. And just because it's a big problem and we can't maybe solve it all at once doesn't mean we shouldn't try. So I think working to make sure that lawmakers understand the urgency and understand that they shouldn't be taking any breaks because gun violence doesn't take a break and making sure that they understand that these pieces of legislation will save lives is the biggest challenge that we're facing right now. Yeah, as you mentioned earlier, you're going to be in Springfield tomorrow and you're, you're calling on lawmakers, as you said, to pass State Representative Morgan's gun control bill. Do you think that mm-hmm. there's enough support there, Rachel? I do. I feel confident because I am going to Springfield, not on my own, but with fellow youth organizers, with advocates, with survivors, with physicians. And we're all forming a broad coalition of people who care about ending gun violence. And it doesn't matter whether you're from Highland Park or whether you're from Garfield Park or whether you're from Waukegan or East St. Louis or Champaign, we're all coming together to call for gun safety legislation and urge our lawmakers here in Illinois to pass the Protect Illinois Communities Act to make us all safe. That's Rachel Jacoby, organizer with the youth-led anti-gun violence movement, March for Our Lives. Thank you so much for making time for us, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Reset on 91.5 WBEZ. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you ever miss the show, check out the Reset podcast. One of my favorite recent episodes was our conversation with rapper and entrepreneur Vic Mensa about why he's working to get more books to people behind bars. Books made sense to me because that's what I've personally been able to send into prisons. And I've seen the radical transformation that people can have when given the right book in that circumstance. You can find that interview about Mensa's project to bring books to prisoners on the WBEZ app or wherever you get your podcasts. Up next, what is your goal for your neighborhood in 2023? We'll learn how community vision boards can make those a reality. That's just ahead on Reset. But first, major winter storms are hitting parts of the country. Here's Lisa Lavez. 
Sasha, a Delta jet went off an icy taxiway after landing in a snowstorm in Minneapolis yesterday, but no passengers were injured. Meantime, a possible tornado damaged homes, downed trees, flipped a vehicle on its side in Alabama early today. And in Southern California, forecasters say it's all systems go for a major storm to sweep over that area today and tomorrow. More than 30 graves at a historic Christian cemetery on Mount Zion in Jerusalem have been found toppled and vandalized. Israel's foreign ministry today called the attack an immoral act and an affront to religion. Mount Zion is associated with the site of the Last Supper and has been at the center of competing religious claims throughout the decades-long Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And the Mega Millions jackpot has increased to an estimated $940 million after another drawing resulted in not a single grand prize winner. The next drawing is scheduled for Friday night. The new jackpot of $940 million is the sixth largest jackpot in U.S. history. Every day, Morning Edition and this station bring you stories that help you understand the day's news. He made it clear that he's ready to use executive action. But we know that there really is no substitute for legislation. I will explicitly say, like, I do not call myself a dreamer. I'm just an undocumented person because the Dream Act didn't work. I'm A. Martinez. Tune in tomorrow for Morning Edition from NPR News. From 5 to 9 a.m. here on 91.5 WBEZ. Whether your business is brand new or deeply rooted, large or still small, you can share your company's strengths, upcoming events, or just introduce yourselves, all while supporting a vital community service, WBEZ. Share not just what you do, but what you care about. It's a fact. Listeners trust and support companies that sponsor WBEZ. Connect with your community today as a WBEZ sponsor at WBEZsponsor.org. Cloudy skies. It's 37 degrees. You might see a little bit of rain or snow throughout the day and a high of 38. This is 91.5. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. New Year's resolutions often focus on what we want to change about ourselves. But what if we set intentions for our community instead? Today, we're going to learn about how to set goals for our neighborhoods through community vision boards. And joining us now is Liz Bajalia, Development Associate for the group Peace Action. Welcome to Reset, Liz. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad you're here. You know, many of us are are familiar with that whole concept, right, mm-hmm. of vision boards or, or collages. But I want you to spell it out for us. How are community vision boards distinct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just quick briefer, if you don't know what a vision board is, essentially you ask yourself, what do I want for my future? And you might put a picture of it on a collage. And the concept of a community vision board is taking that a step further. You still make your own collage, but you do it with your members of your community, whatever the term community means to you. Mm-hmm. And... Then you go ahead and ask yourself, what does my whole community need? You know, so um, as opposed to, you know, I would like to travel to Mexico this summer. You might say, I want no one in my community to ever have to worry about rent because we have a tenants union. Um, Ah. Radical imagination in difficult times. And by doing it in community, you are reminded that you will always you never have to carry any difficulties alone, and you're allowed to dream big in otherwise very difficult times. And are you consulting with community members as you're gathering the pieces for your community vision board? You know, the concept is a little new. I uh, recently came up with it after um, I'm part of an abolitionist book club okay. um, with an organization called the Northwest Suburban Peace Affiliates, a nonprofit, I'm sorry, a nonpartisan Uh, community organization. And so I've kind of done the dry run. And it was really great hosting that first event with them and just 
kind of coming to them and asking, what does community mean to us? Mm -hmm. And hearing anything from, you know, my queer community to my neighbors to my writing community, uh, my disability community. So I see. So community in every sense of the word. Absolutely. Just I think starting conversations on what it means to think with the people around you and be willing to look at whatever. 